Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to explore the Camino de Santiago, a network of pilgrim routes between France, Portugal, and Spain that lead to the tomb of St. James in Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. Hundreds of thousands of people travel to Europe each year to take an epic walk along one of the many paths that make up the Camino de Santiago. Our guest, is Dave Bradley, a two-time adventurer on Camino de Santiago. Dave spent his impressive career as a writer and journalist with the Associated Press. He has since retired and lives in Brevard, North Carolina. He's a runner, noting a 224 marathon back in his younger days. He's an avid backpacker who spends a few weeks each summer in Wyoming's Bridger Wilderness, and he's an avid fly fisherman. He is also an incredible storyteller and is going to tell us some of his story on the Camino de Santiago and also why so many people flock to this adventure of a lifetime. Dave, welcome to the campfire. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to have this conversation. You and I have known each other for a while and I'm always mesmerized by all of your awesome adventure stories. You've lived a very full life. Um, I wonder if we could just start, could you just give us a little bit of background of, of Dave Bradley and and uh, just kind of a little history of, of how we got here? I did a, my first Camino in 2017 at the urging of, uh, of a couple of people in Charlotte where I lived with, where I lived at at the time and met you. So when I retired, this went on the list. I wouldn't call it necessarily a bucket list, Scott, but was one that I was ready to to have the adventure as you as you describe it. And um, I went ahead and got the guidebooks and did a little exploration exploration of my own, and that brought me to getting on a flight to uh, Madrid, taking a train from Madrid to Pamplona and taking a cab from Pamplona to St. Jean-Pied-de-Port just over the border in France. And that started the whole thing. Yeah, I love it. So for those listening that aren't familiar with Camino de Santiago, can you give us just a little background, a little history on what, what Camino de Santiago is? The Camino de Santiago is, Camino is interpreted as either the way, a path, a journey. It can be a lot of those things. And yeah. Santiago is St. James, who mm -hmm. was the patron saint of Spain. And he was one of Christ's disciples. He was a yep. fisherman who became a disciple. And for reasons that aren't entirely clear, he went to the Iberian Peninsula, which was a, a, a wasteland of, of sorts before yeah. Spain was created yeah. and was uh, trying to spread the gospel there and only did it partially successfully. Yeah. He returned to the Middle East where uh, met an unfortunate demise. And after his martyrdom, it holds that he was transported back to the Iberian Peninsula on a boat made of stone. Okay. And then 
his remaining disciples entombed him uh, on a hillside in Spain. And then at some point, his remains, his relics, were removed to Santiago in northwest Spain. Mm -hmm. So Christians, as, as the Iberian Peninsula became more Christianized and the Moors were pushed out uh, by El Cid, um, more people started to venerate St. James and begin this pilgrimage oh, back around 800 AD yeah. that continues to this day. And what's amazing is back in the 11 and 1200s, more than a million pilgrims made the pilgrimage to Santiago. Wow. So that, and that has continued to this day. Yeah. And so there's a whole series of paths that lead to Santiago. There are. There's uh, paths that come out of Germany, Russia, Eastern Spain, France, Portugal, and they all converge at that terminus, which is Santiago de Compostela. Yeah. So again, just to, um, you know, just to really dumb this down, because I'm like, when I'm reading the description of this, right, it talks about these are pilgrim routes. So, so what, what is a pilgrim? That's a good question. A pilgrim is anyone that takes up the mantle or the yoke to walk the full Camino or parts thereof. Mm -hmm. And they can be someone who has a strong religious or spiritual bend. Yeah. But then can include anybody else that says, you know, I just want to do it because it's there. Yeah. And they're all lumped in to this, uh, this description that calls them Pilgrims or in Spanish, peregrinos. Okay. And, um, and so it's anybody that wants to give the Camino de Santiago a shot. That's really what it is. Yeah. That's very cool. So, so yeah. So, so basically setting out on this path from multiple different locations, all headed in the same direction. And, um, you know, spiritual reasons, but everybody kind of probably does it for their, for their own reason. Right. Yes. So, um, so I'm curious, so what was it that called you to this adventure? Well, I'm a little bit chagrined in that regard in yeah. that, um, uh, I am a spiritual person, but I was one of those who was going to do it largely because it was there. And I will admit that it's hard to walk the Camino without coming to an understanding of how special this place, how yeah. special this path is to lots of different people. Uh, I was amazed at the people I met uh, both in 2017 and this past uh, April and May of 2022 of the people who are doing it literally as a journey of uh, that has a spiritual, strong religious overtone, although, mm -hmm. and that's very important, but for lots of people, not necessarily necessary, but by the same token, um, it is just astounding to me how many people are remembering a departed loved one or atoning mm -hmm. for what they see as low points in their lives mm -hmm. or doing those kinds of things that truly have a spiritual bent. But for me, it started as I wanted a nice walk. 
<laughs> and and then it ended up a little something more than that. Oh, a little something more. Okay, we'll have to dig into that. I think like, there's some really interesting history that I was reading just in kind of doing a little bit of my research. Like one thing that I I noticed is that like you like you mentioned in 800 AD is when people kind of started doing this this pilgrimage and it's continued since then. But it almost, I thought I read that there was almost a, a bit of a break and it's sort of, there's sort of been this resurgence since like, even just as recent as like 20, 30, or maybe 30, 40 years ago. Yes, that's right. Of course, they had a, a world, a couple of world wars hmm. that interrupted uh, significant portions of uh, the Camino and it became more popular as there became more lodging for pilgrims or albergues or really adult hostels is what they are. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when Martin Sheen and his son did a movie called The Way about oh, nice. 11 or 12 years ago, I can't remember the exact date. That's when modern day interest in the Camino really zoomed. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and I, I thought the film was good, was pretty much on point, but uh, ever since then, particularly for Americans, since it was an American film, uh, the Camino has just taken on a, a real high level of interest. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's interesting how, I mean, Hollywood has that effect on people, right? In pop culture, people, people see something and then they want to go, want to go do it. So mm -hmm. um, kind of cool that that's, that sparked some new interest. So you, can you talk about which route you did and maybe give us some highlights of, you know, the, the length of time, what you encountered, maybe some of the, some of the highlights of the trip for you? Well, they were all highlights. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, I started in St. Jean Pied de Port, mm -hmm. which uh, is on the French side of the Pyrenees within hailing distance of the Spanish border. Okay. The first day on the Camino is absolutely far and away the toughest day of the entire walk. You're going up and over the Pyrenees wow. to your first waypoint, which is a place called a town in Spain called Arance Valles. Okay. And that's where you encounter your first uh, albergue or hostel. And you go from there. And in the guidebooks, of which there's many that can be found in your local bookstores or Amazon and places like that. They tend to break down the Camino into stages. And there's 35 stages that are most commonly accepted, which means you're moving from one town to town number two, from two to three and three to four and so on until you're finished. Mm -hmm. Now, the highlight, the highlight for me, literally, or among the highlights, where the towns weren't big that you stopped in. Yeah. This is not like stopping overnighting in Los Angeles or Chicago yeah. or New York. The Camino is going through relatively modestly sized cities. The largest might be, oh, Lyon or Pamplona. Okay. So there's nothing that's extraordinarily large. Some of them, the towns that you can stay in might have 50, 60 people. Yeah, that's so and, cool. Um, that's really what struck me was the way the, the Camino is sticks to this. I don't know if ruralness is the right word, mm -hmm. but it sticks to a backcountry, which takes you through 
a different kind of countryside than you would see in the U.S., which means it's largely agrarian. It can be very forested. Mm -hmm. There's not edge row to edge row farming. There's small fields. There's villages. It's it's just it just struck me the awesomeness of uh, of of Spain in terms of its topography and the different things you go through. You go through the wine region. You go through what is essentially a high, I don't want to call it desert, but a high dry spot. Mm -hmm. And then you're in valleys. And it was just the countryside that really struck me. And then uh, all along the way, uh, and this is where the you're really tone deaf if you don't acknowledge or adapt to the spiritual side. All along the way, there are, I don't know if a crash is the right phrase, but there are impromptu spots where people will leave mementos mm. either for departed relatives themselves, whatever it is. You could go by a tree and all of a sudden there's five or six photos that are nailed or, or yeah. to it or something like that. Yeah, And that's when it begins to impress upon you that people are doing this, I think, for what are the right reasons, which is honoring what that legacy is from all those centuries of people who went for you know, for those reasons. And I think, too, um, it's a very secure path. It's a very secure route. Uh, and I, I told you in one of our run-up calls to this that one of the things that really impressed me, and I went by myself, I didn't need to go with anybody, and I think a lot of the the Camino is predicated on this idea that individuals can go and should go. It's not a, oh, let's get 10 of our best friends and go together. Yes. yes. That's not, I'm sure people do that, but I don't think that's part of the way. But the number, the percentage of women that walk alone in the 40, 50, 60, and 70 age category is absolutely astounding to me. Uh, for example, when I was in Portugal this year, women outnumber the men percentage-wise by a fair amount to me. I mean, it's like 70-30. It was utterly wow. incredible. So I think people can take the walk because the Spanish and the Portuguese and the French are protective of the environment that creates a Camino where people can feel comfortable to walk on this journey, on this pilgrimage, if you will, Yes. Uh, without feeling... Uh, other things. I, uh, it's just astounding to me how the communities, yes, there's an economic benefit to them and fine. I, everybody gets that. But they create an environment where people feel welcome. Mm -hmm. You have specially priced meals for the pilgrims and, and those kinds of things. And you have medical facilities and all that kind of stuff. And I, I that that stuff just floored me because none of that was what I expected. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, so like as I'm kind of like imagining this, somebody that that is unfamiliar with it. I mean, this is you're you're on roads, right? You're traveling through towns. This isn't like you're not on a, a this isn't like the Appalachian Trail, right? This is like going through no. um, small communities. This is going through small communities. Now, over the centuries and as Spain has become modernized and a highway system has developed and all those kinds of things. You're going to be walking on a fair amount of blacktop. Mm -hmm. um, 
but a lot of it is over paths of crushed rock um, and stone. And yes, there's a little bit of highway work, but those are small stints to get from one point to another to a better path. And yeah. I looked out for a lot of Roman, literal Roman roads that are were built by the Romans, still in use today, mostly by foot traffic. Sometimes yeah. farmers will take their their implements over those on those roads. I mean, literally, and they've held up for uh, several centuries. And yeah, it's crazy. It might be as wide as the room, or not even as wide as the room that you and I are sitting in. Mm -hmm. But those are the kind of roads that you can get on and think, man, I have really gone back in time because mm. all those roads, as they say, lead to Rome. And the northwest part of Spain is in, is called in Galicia, where which is at the time, and I don't know if it still is true, but it was a gold bearing place. Gotcha. Where the Romans yeah. got gold, and those roads were functioning to move not only the gold but troops and 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 whatever. So the path is a mixture of things, but by and large. It's mainly crushed rock and, and things like that. Yep. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. And, and this is not a, um, this is not a backpacking camping trip. You're not, this isn't, you're not camping. You're actually staying. Could talk about the accommodations at night along the way. <laughs> I can. My first piece of advice would be to take a pair of ear earplugs. Okay. <laughs> because um, the albergues, and, and just to back up a little bit, part of the element of the Camino is suffering. Not, not mm -hmm. in the physical sense, but yep. it's discomfort. Yes. So there's no Hyatts and there's no fancy hotels and all that. You stay in the sort of accommodations that pilgrims have stayed in for a long, long time. And those are these adult hostels called albergues. And they have a bunk system, an upper bunk and a lower bunk, a couple of bathrooms that are shared mm -hmm. by everybody. And you might have anywhere from 10 to a hundred people sleeping in the same room. Mm -hmm. And these days, the proprietor, and it could be a public albergue that's owned by a town, or it could be a private, they'll give you a paper fitted sheet because you're gonna sleep on a rubber mattress. Mm, okay. And that you'll have a paper pillowcase and that's it. But you're not really, there's no element of backpacking that you can do. Yeah. Part of the experience, and you talk about the things that I valued, yep. or, you know, I thought were impressionable. We're, we're staying with other people mm -hmm. and eating with other people. 
um, because some of the albergues provide food, principally a joint dinner in the night. Um, I remember going to one small town along the route. The town literally was not three blocks long. It wasn't. And you stayed in an old monastery that had been converted to a church that had been converted to an albergue. And I went in to register. And there was a woman from Canada who was a volunteer. And I said, uh, you know, I paid my five euros. You know, usually it takes five to 10 euros a night to stay in one of these places. And I got my paper sheets. Okay, that's great. Yep. I made some, some remark as to the tuna what's for dinner because meal was included, a pilgrim meal was included. Yeah. And she said, uh, well, I don't know. Do you cook? <laughs> sure, I guess. <laughs> well, would you mind cooking tonight? I said, absolutely not. I said, awesome. Sure. How many people? Oh, 40. I love it. I'm cooking for 40 people. Let's go. And here it was at about, it was about four o'clock. And I said, well, what time do you think people should eat? Oh, I don't know. 6.30 or 7. Oh, man. I love it. I said, okay, listen, I'm, you know, they don't have like supermarkets. Yep. Like Safeways and Harris yep. Teeter and, and, and all those, you know, they don't have those. I said, well, okay, I got this. Where's the Mercado? The market. Oh, it's out the go out the door and down to the left. So I found it and it had about seven or eight foot ceilings in it. And there was an old gentleman wearing a, a knitted vest. It was hotter than blazes out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't speak very good Spanish, but I said something to the effect of, I'm gonna be cooking tonight at the albergue and I need some food. Oh, senor, si. So he brings, gets me a bottle of olive oil, gets, goes in the back and honestly comes out with four or five bulbs of garlic. I grabbed all of the pasta that I could see. I grabbed like, I don't know, eight or 10 boxes uh -huh. of pasta. I did something I shouldn't have done. And that was, I said to him, I said, listen, any tomato, and I didn't know what the word for sauce was, tomato yeah. sauce. Mm -hmm. And he just goes, no, but he motions over to a box of tomatoes. And I said, that's good enough. Give me those. <laughs> and so I, I picked up, I don't know how many tomatoes. And um, he had some pane, which is bread. Uh -huh. And I got, I don't know how many loaves of those. So I put them in a box and the whole thing cost me, I don't know. And this isn't anything I'm going to be asked to be, to get paid back for. Right. And that's right. Th I thought this was so fun. So anyway, um, I go back to the place and I find that the cook pot is this gigantic thing. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's as big around as a fire pit and it's on a single burner system that comes out of a propane tank that's sitting over in the corner. So I get to work and, and um, start, you know, chopping. I thought, well, I've got to make, I've got to make something out into a tomato sauce. <laughs> Because he didn't have any cheese. So away I go and I chop up the tomatoes and all that stuff and pour in some olive oil. And and they had some herbs out in a common garden that uh -huh. were in the back. I don't even know what they were. I just went and got them. Okay. And 
I don't even know if I chopped them up. I was just pulling them off the plants. I didn't wash them off. I just yeah, threw right. them in. Uh-huh. And uh, so I went back out and the woman is chucking more people in. And, and, uh, and I said, well, I think I've, I've kind of got things under control. Um, and there was another person, uh, a woman from, I don't know where she's from, Germany or someplace, who overheard the conversation and said, she said, do you need help? I said, yeah, that'd nice. be great. And then the, the, the Canadian woman who was the hostess, the volunteer was running it, said, did you get any wine? I said, no, sure didn't. So um, while the tomatoes and the garlic and the whatever herbs, unnamed herbs are in there are cooking, yeah. uh, I went back to the store <laughs> and I said, uh, Senor, the uh, vino tinto, which is uh, your red wine in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. And so you're not going by labels, trust me. There's right. none of that. And you said, see, see. So I picked up, uh, I don't know, eight or nine bottles of red wine, uh-huh. for like two euros each or something. It was incredibly cheap. Took those back. And so now people are pouring in and it's going to be more than 40. We're going to okay. clearly more than 40 people. And uh, this German woman and I whipped that thing out and uh, we took the sauce out after it was cooked. And we put it in bowls and then we dumped in a bunch of water and cooked all the pasta and uh, got the bread and took the olive oil and put it in little bowls so people could dip their bread in the olive oil. And that was it. And um, we just had that, that probably for me, highlight wise, was one where the spirit of the Camino is to give back. Yeah, totally. Say, it has oh, to by be. the way, here's my receipt. And you know, <laughs> you yeah. owe me 31 euros or whatever the, right. the cost was. I was just happy to do that. And that really made me feel good. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Like what an unexpected experience, but you just, I mean, it seems like you just, that, that's kind of just going with it, right? Yeah. Um, man, and that and I'll, I'll bet you just, you know, witnessing the people eating and the, and the conversations that you had in that, in that process, I'm sure that had to be very fulfilling. Yeah, it it truly was. Yeah. So, I mean, I bet there's two points in there that I'd love to talk about a little bit deeper because, so there's the connection piece and the, and the people that you've talked to, but also um, you had some really interesting cuisine experiences. So it wasn't all pasta and tomato sauce over there. There was a you showed me some pictures years back that that I'd love to just share a little bit of the cuisine with the with listeners because you ate some pretty interesting things. Let's just say I left my American palate at the door. Okay. You know, when I checked in, um, I met up with a Spanish gentleman about oh, two weeks in, and I walked mm-hmm. with him for a few weeks. And uh, I would look at what they would serve because I, I, I my Spanish isn't good enough to say, well, really, what is this? And I want that. And Whatever they served in a restaurant is what I wanted. I yeah. mean, I, I didn't care, but it, this the Spaniard say, well, I'll order for us. Okay, great. So we would go into a place and they would be speaking. And the next thing you know, uh, here comes a bowl of sliced octopus in olive oil and garlic. It's called pulpo. Okay. And I looked at this Spaniard and I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. Well, I had this pulpo as much as possible after that. It was so delicious. Oh, wow. Okay. And then one day we went into um, the Carnitiria, which is a, a meat market. Carne uh-huh. is meat in Spanish. We were looking at 
like sheep's heads. Mm-hmm. I mean, the literal head of a sheep with the eyeballs. Yeah. Yep. Rabbits and just tripe, you know, with the intestines and lungs and, and brains and all that stuff. Yeah. And he said, I think this would be good. <laughs> and I said, wow. So we got some of those things and he roasted the sheep's head. And that was the first, and I, I, he said, you know, you have to eat the eyes. All right, let's give it a go. Well, I have to tell you, it was absolutely amazing how every, good everything tasted. It, it, it really was. And it just made me feel that I'm so selective in what I, you know, I think here in the States, we're kind of spoiled in terms of what we eat. More Europeans eat all of the animal. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's testicles. I don't care if it's lungs or brains or yeah. whatever it is. They'll eat it. Yeah. And I I went over that edge and and really tried those things. And it was just absolutely, you talk about a culinary adventure. Yeah, I was that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm thinking bear yeah. grills, like we're we're doing this. <laughs> oh, but, uh, I had uh, pickled uh, chicken feet. Uh, you could buy the combs off rooster heads and eat those. I tried those. I can't say that I would order them at a U.S. restaurant, but you still, you know, when you're over there and you want to, you want to have this adventurous side, well, yep. okay, I think that's fine. That's how they eat. Then mm-hmm. that's how, that's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you're, you know, you're expanding your palate, you're expanding your awareness. I mean, that's just part of this whole thing. And for the listeners, you had a picture that you showed me of that market with the sheep's head. And uh, love to be able to post that for listeners so, so on the Please. show notes so they can see that because um, that was pretty cool. It's uh, it was so tasty. I mean, yeah. it truly was. Uh, it was really incredible. Yeah. So so the second part of the question was really like the the connection piece, and then if we could just get into like some of the stories. I mean, so you, I think the first time you went, you were gone for about thirty days. It took the Camino the the Camino Francais, mm-hmm. which comes out of out of Saint Jean Pied de Port. Mm-hmm to over the Pyrenees down to Pamplona and you take a hard right and then basically go west all the way Mm -hmm. for 500 miles. Yep. The guidebooks will say that that should take you 35 days. Okay. And uh, I did it, unfortunately, and I regretted it to this day, Scott. Uh, I did it in 28 days. Okay. Which was one of the dumbest things I've ever done because I wish I had taken... 40, 50, not not meant to be a race, not meant to be a race. And it's not a hike. Yeah. It is a walk. Yeah. And I just really think that the pilgrims, anybody that wants to do this, and I think anybody can do it. And I, I wouldn't, I would never discourage anyone from doing it. Mm -hmm. I think build in enough time to make sure that you see everything that a pilgrim should see. Mm. Because all along the way are Iglesias or churches, churches yeah. all Catholic churches that are just utterly phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I, they are utterly amazing in their construction, in their veneration of things. Uh, absolutely incredible. And I, and when I say I regretted going so fast in a lot of these towns these churches there's more than one iteration of these church when the moors came in when the uh, northern african muslims came in 
way back, like two or three century AD, they made the locals tear down many of the churches stone by stone mm. and rebuild them as a mosque. And then when uh, El Shid came in and vanquished the invading Muslims, then the mosques were taken down and rebuilt back into these forms. But the only way you're really going to find out about it and see those things which historically are interesting and if you're truly religious, you can't pass up. I mm -hmm. think I, I think you need to spend more days, I, I, more days. And so instead of race walking right here, uh, take your time, enjoy it, uh, and all and adventure it in all ways, whether yeah. it's food, walking, history, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Um, as we kind of wrap up the details of the trip, I, I do kind of want to make sure we touch on just some of the people that you met, some of the stories that you heard, some of the connections that you made. Like, what what was that part about? Because you, you went alone, but you weren't walking alone. No, no. I think that's one of the things that I didn't anticipate was that you meet people who more or less are on the same trajectory as you. You see them day after day after day. And when I talked earlier about people doing the Camino for the right way, you mm -hmm. just you can't you can't turn around without talking to somebody. Uh, the the Spaniard from Alicante who was there with me, who introduced me to varied cuisine, yeah, uh, wanted to finish his Camino on a specific day in September because that day in September was the first year anniversary of his young son's death. Mm. His young son had been playing on a uh, with some other boys on a ancient wall built by the Romans along a Roman road, and somehow the wall collapsed and killed him. Mm. And so Frankie, the Spaniard, was very upfront that I'm doing this for my son. Yeah. I'm doing it in part for me. I'm doing it for my wife and my daughter because this is very, this is how I do it. Every town we went through, every little town that had any kind of church, it could be a big church as is in Burgos and Lyon to a small church that maybe sat 10 people, he would go in and I would wait. Uh, while he said what he had to say. Um, and he did this every single town yeah. we'd go in. And I just thought that was so cool. And uh, I, I was just utterly amazed. And I, I met a woman from Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, she was sitting on a, a guardrail along a short stretch of a highway. And her name is Chris. And we're still in touch right now. Mm -hmm. Her son who was in his mid-20s was coming over to her house on his motorcycle somebody ran a light and ran him over and, and killed him and so now chris is going along on the camino to celebrate the life of her son and and this was it was almost two two years to the month that she was doing her hike and and you meet other people Scott, who are in that same situation, 
uh, I met people who were recovering from drugs mm -hmm. and were doing it as atonement. Yep. And um, it makes you feel sheepish because you think I'm, in, I'm, I'm marginally embarrassed because these people are really doing the Camino as the Camino states or doesn't state, but as the Camino was intended yeah. to be. And then there's people like me that come along just because I want to do it. But that really made very, very, very strong impressions on me. Yeah. And you meet people all the time that you're walking with. So as you say, you're not walking alone. You meet people and the catchphrase every day for every hiker to another hiker is Buen Camino. B-U-E-N Camino, C-A-M-I-N-O. Mm, yes. Good walk. Good walk. It's like saying hello or yeah. have a nice day or whatever it is. It's Buen I Camino. The shop, yeah. owners, the shop owners tell you that. The hoteliers tell you that. Uh, the restaurateurs tell you that. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm going to use that. I'll remember that one. So I think that's a good segue because when we started this little talk here, you said that you decided to go do the Camino de Santiago because it was there, because you could, because it was something to do. But you also commented that you found a little something deeper. Yes, that's true. Um, I think it's this preponderance, this weight of the people you meet, the circumstance of the Camino itself, the environment that is purely introspective, if you will. Mm. And it calls, it calls on you to recognize where are you at relative to the good graces of what the Camino espouses. And that really weighed on me. And so toward the end of the hike, well, the last couple of weeks, I met an Italian guy, uh, Giorgio, who had a similar situation where his granddaughter had an unfortunate accident and also died. Hmm. And he couldn't speak a lick of English and my Italian was worse than my Spanish. But every time he went into a church, I went in with him and removed my hat, sat down and, and said those things that needed to be said. And for me, it was more atonement because mm -hmm. I wasn't celebrating any other, any other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and you begin to notice more and more, Scott, the enormity of, of what this hike means. Because I go to places where for centuries, legend, or not legend, but tradition has that you would throw a stone around a pillar of a cross. And now the pile of rocks is, I don't know, 25, 30 feet high. Mm -hmm. Who knows how many have been under there? You, you don't know what else is under there because people will leave mementos mm -hmm. everywhere and you just can't dismiss that. You, you, you think this is now beginning to weigh on me, but in a good way, not in any kind of bad way at all. Yeah. Dave, did you come back from that trip, especially the first time? Um, did you come back a different person than, than the person that started? Um, you know, Scott, I, I did. I can't say exactly how that is, but I think I'm clearly more empathetic. Uh, I think my spirituality is a little bit more on my sleeve than it was before. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I think you, this ideal that pilgrims help each other, watch out for each other, um, and those kinds of things has not been lost in me. And I, even here in Brevard, North Carolina, I try to practice some of those things now, yeah. and I, I do. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think it it works for me. And clearly, the Camino is really never far from my thinking. Yeah, it truly isn't. I think about it with stunning regularity. Yeah, I, I, I truly do. As we talk, like I'm just imagining, like that there's a there's a real sort of reverence to to that place, the Camino. Um, and what's interesting about it is that one of the the words I love using on this podcast is the word awe. And I haven't mentioned it in a few episodes, but early on in the podcast, I'd, I'd read the definition that I love. And that is awe is a, rev a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. And I just love that when we think about adventures, like this reverential feeling of fear and wonder mixed together. I'm just curious, did you experience any moments of awe when you were there, the Camino? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Some of those were the physical, you know, walking on a Roman road where you knew the legions had been before you. Yeah. Uh, you know, walking through along where truly ancient rock walls existed. Who knows how long they've been there? Long, 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 long time. When you look at the way many of the towns are constructed, uh, I mean, you go through fortifications that were built by the Knights Templar, you know, and it's utterly amazing. And I think this that gives credence to this idea that take your time. Yes. Because you're going to have those moments. And uh, I think I told you the other day that there was one where I, there was one awe moment where, and I, I can't quite remember exactly where it was, it was somewhere in the first half of the hike. Some of the earliest Cro-Magnon man discoveries were just a bit off of the Camino. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I, 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 I can't, I can't go to those because I've got to make time. I've got to get to the next spot. Yeah. And when I talked to people afterward who went, that was incredible. You should have seen that. It was amazing and, and whatever. And I go, there's one of those awe moments where I wish I would have done that. Yeah. Um, if, if I can get into the more personal realm, I was in awe of some of the people who walked. People, um, there was a guy from San Diego who was in the final stages of prostate cancer, mm. had told his physician, hey, I don't want any more treatments. I don't want any of that. I'm going to go do what I need to do. So he went to Spain to walk as much as the Camino as his body would allow. He was a great, great guy. Um, and I, I think his name was Jim. And I would meet Jim. And he would tell the story, you know, where it might take me three hours to do something. He was taking seven or eight hours. Yeah. But by gosh, he was still getting it done. Yeah. And his wife would go ahead and meet and make arrangements to where they were going to stay that night and come back and check on him and all those kinds of things. And I was just awestruck by a guy who knew in the finality of 
whatever's going to end for him, that he was doing what he wanted to do in that spiritual journey. Yes. On that religious path. And I think that was, that was good. And I think there was one other instance and it's, you could walk out the door today, Scott, in the shape you're in, put on a pair of trail runners, load your pack with 17 pounds and you'd be good to go tomorrow. You could do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I met a woman who, I don't know if she's five feet, but she was very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. 200 plus easy. Mm-hmm. I don't know where she was from. And the first day she was sitting on a bunk by herself and I didn't know her name, never talked to her, didn't do any of that. And her feet were just a complete mess of blisters. Yeah. And she was taping them up and putting a what's called Compede, which is a European brand of to treat blisters. And I thought, I wanted to say, good for you. But if I would have told that to her, she would have said, well, you're just mentioning that because you're trying to make me feel better about my weight. Yeah. Well, you know what? I saw her day after day after day. And like the the gentleman with his prognosis, she, this is where, you know, the, the, literally the tortoise can win the race. Yes. She didn't, it didn't matter the rest of us hares speeding off and going, she was taking her time and getting it done. And I, I I really wish I had been able to tactfully say something uh, to her because I just, it was so utterly impressive. It was just amazing to me that with the, and with her feet, the way they were, I just thought, whoa, good for her. Well, and you talked about the suffering and, and that's, you know, that's part of it. And I mean, what an inspiring story. And now here you are, you know, sharing this story with other people. So hopefully that message gets out. And it kind of brings me to like one of my last couple questions. And that is just what advice do you have for people that are hearing your story and, and have interest in this journey or any any other sort of journey that's been kind of on their heart, something that they've wanted to do. What, what's your advice for people in terms of getting started on something like this? Um, you know, I know it sounds trite, but to quote Nike, I think it's just do it. It's absolutely just do it. I love don't it. Do it. Don't. I don't think you have to be in supreme shape. I don't think you have to be necessarily fluent in Spanish or Mm -hmm. any of those other things. Get a pack that will hold 16, 17 pounds max. Mm -hmm. Use a lightweight shoe, you know, a running shoe or trail runners, all you need. Uh, Pack seven, you know, 16, 17 pounds. And just go, just go. And don't hamstring yourself by saying, I've got to go from this point A to this point B today, because that's one of the big, well, not a complaint, but I think one of the the elements of the guidebook is it breaks it into 35 segments. Yeah. Well, don't feel if I don't go from point A to point B today, I've failed. Yeah. Or I'm not, I haven't met my goal. Forget that. Yeah. Because there's plenty of intermediate places to stay. And again, I think people, like myself, kick ourselves because we did it the wrong way. I did. And I'm still kicking myself. 
And I'd like to do it again next year if I can. I, I hope to. I hope to go back next year and do it again. There you go. There's always there's always time for a second and a third chance. Dave, Absolutely. this this adventure has been amazing. There's so many other adventures that you've taken. You've you've you just always amaze me with the stories that you've told me over the years that I've known you. And I know that at some point Hollywood's going to make a movie about you. And I want to know when they do. Very short. <laughs> Who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie? Oh boy. Who's this Pratt guy? Uh, not Kevin Pratt. Um, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. All right. I love it. I watched a movie with him last night, so he's the first one. To Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Chris Pratt, it is. What's your movie going to be called? I would call it 40 Days in Spain. 40 Days in Spain, starring Chris Pratt. I love yeah. it. Sweet. Well, Dave, this has been awesome. It's been full of awe. It's been reverential. I'm I'm super excited. There, hopefully, at some point in my life, I'll get the opportunity to walk the Camino de Santiago. And for those listening, I hope that you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Dave's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure, because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Dave Bradley, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Scott.